Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Everyone, welcome to the Inferno podcast based on the Suns. This is episode 33 on the Believe Network. I'm your host, Dana Scott, with my co-host, the legendary Cedric Sabalas, Dr. Patrick Patillo, a.k.a. Sun Superfan, Mr. Orange, and our guest for today, Mr. Donis Henry, who is one of the best high school basketball uh, scouts for women's basketball in the state. He is also a former Seattle Supersonics employee, and he is a Seattle sports fan, but based in Phoenix. So want to talk to you about uh, a little bit of your background before we get into our five or six topics we got for today's show, Donis. Man, that's a lot. That's a lot, lot. Uh, but thanks for having me on, Dana. Um, you know, for me, from a background perspective, hey, I've been in this youth space, uh, I've been as a pro, pro level, um, back up in Washington, I put college ball up there, uh, football-wise. And then was with the Seattle Supersonics, uh, open span of gosh, two, three different strikes. So it was like four, six years, eight years, I think, total after the last strike. Um, with the Sonics and the Storm, um, you had an indoor soccer team at that time, but uh, was there through all the glory years with Sean and Gary. Um, the infancy of uh, of, uh, of our storm with Steve Bird and, and even the young lady Jackson. So, uh, been around the block, moved out here to the valley once we lost the team to some place in Oklahoma City. And, uh, you know, got involved in the game on the women's side uh, because my daughter decided one day to sprout up to about 5'11 and uh, got me back into it and been in it ever since. So No doubt. That's dope, man. We're going to get into some women's basketball discussion today. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about the new Suns uniforms that came out this week, actually, this past Tuesday, August 1st. That was actually a variation of the 1992-93 Suns uniforms that you wore said, actually, if with the sunburst, when that was first introduced, it was changed from what the old Suns logo was with the Western Phoenix font and basically put the Suns uh, logo in motion, so to speak. And can you, you wore those two different uniforms to start. That was originally what the Suns had from the 68, 69 season when that the Suns were introduced uh to the NBA as an expansion team and in 92-93 when Barkley came along. And then we got several other uniforms that have been in the Suns' backs ever since. Said, what's your take of what the best one is? Um, you know, it seems like the fans really enjoy that 92-93 uh, jersey uh, just because of the boldness of it. Uh, it was a new, new form of technology as far as material. Uh, form-fitted. It, it wasn't really a stretchy kind of material, but uh, it was form-fitted. Letters big and bold and white uh, and, and big and bold and black and purple on the back so you can see the names and numbers. Uh, a lot of people kind of adjusted that just because of the way it fits. It just fits really well. And then the design, the sunburst coming out of the side and, uh, was pretty good. Um, the, the, the old school ones, in fact, that Madhouse and McDowell were pretty funky too, just to uh, the font of the the Phoenix and then the Suns on there, and then obviously having that sunburst on the side of your shorts is pretty cool too. And even though they were short, 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 short shorts, hey, uh, right. 
I think I played in every every era of shorts too. Like this, you know, the the, the cutters as long and then the long Allen Iversons and all that other stuff too as well. But I think uh, I really enjoyed that ninety two ninety three. And I, I I also when I came back uh, to the Suns when they had that jersey in black, yeah, uh, you know they had the the black the the, the purple and the white jerseys. I thought that was uh, pretty cool too having it in black. Yeah, when you had him in black, that was introduced, I believe, in 95. Barkley was still with the team. And I remember they were first introduced during, I think it was a game against the Blazers in Portland. It was a road game, if I'm not mistaken. And I remember the uh, ESPN, uh, an anchor said at the time, like, no, there's nothing wrong with your screen. The Suns jerseys are actually black. (laughs) And I was like, that's dope. Uh, and Nash actually wore those, and Jason Kidd wore those when they got drafted. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, when Nash got drafted in '96, and when Jason Kidd uh, was traded from Dallas uh, over to Phoenix. What about you, Patrick? You're the super fan. What's your take of the best uh, iteration of the Suns uniforms? Yeah, said hit it. I I just that that era was it's, it's just too classic. And even the new ones that came out, um, they're all right in, in my opinion. Um, I really I just enjoy the traditional. So personally, I I wouldn't have kind of redid it um, and made it what it is uh, on that new design. Uh, but you know, I'll embrace it, of course. But uh, definitely those. And I would say the Valley jerseys would be second, um, just from the uniqueness of you know, similar to what said uh, stated back then. That was kind of cutting edge and then now you look at when the valley jerseys came out and just how they put the graphic together with it i think kind of those two are the one-two punch for me right when you are we comparing just the two or all of the all of them all well let me change my vote then i <laughs> because the native american sun's jerseys are bananas that powder blue or whatever you want to call it with the native, red and, the native edition oh, yeah. God, it's, it's just and then when they put the floor on as well uh, and I'm not I'm not really looking at it as a, you know, it's just something different. I just think the boldness of it and the colors and the way that they match and, uh, you know, especially seeing uh, the fans around town wearing the jerseys along with the hat, the blue hat. Oh, man, it just, yeah, that's my all-time favorite. And I think they just came out maybe about a year or two ago. They did, yeah, the turquoise native uh, editions, no doubt. Yeah, Donis. What's your take on the best Suns uniforms ever? I, you know, that 92-93 was pretty dope because the visual in Portland and Charles had the matching shoes. There were the black ones with the purple striping around that, and um, they kind of boosted off what he was doing. Um, and that team was exciting. I mean, they, they put some help still in college, but um, they had put some butt whipping things to people then. Um, McClellan and Chambers and Shed and those guys were really, really good team. Um, I'm going to agree with Seth, you know, that the black and the black ones were dope, um, but that Native American one is pretty dope um, because you get a chance to embrace everything, you know, that's southwestern. But um, yeah, they are pretty dope. Um, yeah, real nice. All right, so, so we can all agree that the ones with the sleeves that the NBA tried to push, like those, <laughs> those are really whack. We can all agree with that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they, they, they look, they reminded me of those old school Evansville uh, uniforms from exactly. like the 90. Remember those joints? Yeah. They had the, the only team yeah. with sleeves back in the day. <laughs> Was that Louisiana Tech women's? Yeah, it, it, it kind of looked like La Tex. Exactly. Yeah. The old school La Tech style. Definitely. LA, you know, the La, Louisiana Tech. 
Lady Texters, though, they were tough back in the 80s, man. I mean, let's be real. They were trading those championships, those national titles with Tennessee back in the 80s, really, except for, you know, 83 and 84 with uh, USC when Cheryl Miller was there. But, yes. yeah, so shout out to Cheryl Miller. But And she was also the first coach of the uh, Phoenix Mercury back when they were in the WNBA uh, first edition. I remember that, too. You know, and Nancy Lieberman-Klein, I think, was on that team, too. Or Nancy Lieberman, you know, she dropped the climb. But anyway, yeah, I, my vote is, I would say, the teal uh, native edition uniforms that gives homage to the uh, all the, the tribes in Arizona. Um, I would go for the the valley black ones that had the ill pixelated kind of Coleco vision thing on the front. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I get reference to Coleco Vision because that was my childhood. So hey, you're not that old. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, just just that. I mean, they it just black just makes you look a little bit more menacing. Just kind of like where people have that illusion that the Raiders play better when they wear black, you know, compared to white. Right, it gives a little bit more of a menacing look. Commit, commitment to excellence as their logo is, and they went to the finals during that run when they wore those uniforms. Uh, in 2021, but it almost was like I understand why they brought up uh, the new jerseys, uh, the new uniforms this season because it's similar to where Barkley first came and Cod Fitzsimmons wanted to do something that's totally new with Barkley on the you know the roster. Now he's got now we got Bradley Beal and then you got uh, Kevin Durant and Devin Booker together and Big Eight and, and of course so it's like the Big Four are really bringing a new energy to this team and that's where they're tr basically trying to give homage to the roots of the 92-93 team that went far into the finals and lost. And then this team is expected to be a championship contender with as much as they're paying these guys uh, to do that. And it might as well give the fans a sense of uh, their own identity with this team that's uh, connected to that 92-93 team. But I'll go with that 92-93 uh, burst and the old school. I actually like the Devin Booker um, jerseys from 90, I think it was 2017, or he wore the slam cover that was kind of a throwback of Phoenix with the old school font with it was white. Um, and it had like the, it was, it wasn't like the, um, it wasn't exactly like the old Western font, but it was, it was similar to that. I like those too. They haven't worn those that much, but I, I like to see those more often. And um, my fifth, I would say is uh, the current uh, Phoenix purple uh, that are kind of squarish. You know, so that that goes last. That's usually the standard of what they wear. Um, but next up topic is about Dr. J's recent comments about super teams not respecting Durant hopping around, quote unquote, hopping around from team to team. I don't know if you saw that from uh, uh, Joe D'Angela. Um, Joy D'Angela is a uh, podcaster, also an Instagram model. She went viral with Dr. J's top 10 picks. It was her first um, interview that she had on video and she got Dr. J so respect her for doing that. But he said what he said about super teams and how, you know, teams are with Lillard. He understands why he got, uh, why he's requesting to go to Miami in 11 years. He put in his time, but then, you know, him wanting to move is okay. But Kevin Durant's not okay going from team to team. So said, do you believe that super teams, no matter how they're constructed, if they win a title, does it basically eliminate the asterisk or does it keep it? I think it keeps it. Uh, it's just the era. Uh, Dr. J, um, 
obviously old school guy, uh, real respected around the league and and, and the world. Um, but I just think it's, it just wasn't their era at that time. They didn't have that type of control that the players have now. Uh, and and fortunate because of Dr. J's and Magic's and Bird's and Bill Russell's and and I can go on and on and on. It's the reason why they can have this freedom now and. and the salaries are where they are and, 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 and the movement is, you know, you know, I think Oscar Robinson was the first one to say, or, or I, I'm, I'm not sure uh, to say, man, I should be able to play where I want to play and, and, and grow my children, my family, where I want to not, not just to be buckled down. Cause you can go work anywhere. Uh, if you're construction, if you're a doctor, if you can go work where you want to work. Uh, so I think that, you know, the super teams are great. I think is you know, uh, you, you, it, they just did it differently back then. You know, Detroit had a super team. You know what I'm saying? You know, Rodman, Isaiah, Joe, Bill, and that, that's Hall of Famers right there. Let's go to Boston. It's too many Hall of Famers even in the name. Let's go to Philly. You know, even with Doc's team, Moses. You know, you brought Moses. 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 He brought team. Moses over. Mo Cheeks. You had Bobby Jones. You had, I mean, I mean, it can go on and on and on. Tony. five all-stars on that 83 team. That's they needed to make that super team. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's a super team right there. They just did it a little bit different. The Lakers squad. Lakers had five all-stars on one team, too, as well. Uh, so that, you know, it, it is what it is. It's just the, the era. Uh, you know, Kevin is big enough to where he doesn't have to move and people can come to him, but you know, um, you know, you got to think, you know, he didn't have a choice. A lot of people would have came to Seattle. They may not have came to Oklahoma City, you know, to 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 power up with him. So if if Seattle kept their team, then you probably would have had a lot of people wanting to come to Seattle and 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 team up with them. But it is what it is. I mean, Dr. J is great. He's a, he's a Hall of Famer. He's one of my idols growing up, and and probably a lot of other people's. But uh, I think it's just that they had that, but it was just de defined differently back in his day. Patrick, your take on Dr. J's comments. about Yeah, uh, similar to said in terms of, you know, well-respected, he has a right to his opinion, definitely. Many probably feel the same way. Uh, similar to said, it's it's the environment. It's changed, right? Like the debate of who's a GOAT and you compare, you know, people that are in different generations of the game and it, it's just different. It's not the same. You're playing within the confines of the CBAs and there's been how many since Dr. J has left and each of those evolved tremendously. And so owners, players, et cetera, all adjust and adapt agents. And so it's, it is what it is, as said, uh, you know, pointed out and, and you just have to be successful in survive and and different individuals want different things right for the longest time dame wanted to stay loyal um and that wasn't important as your career gets later that changes perspective it changes your money outlook it changes what your goals are within the organization that you're a part of and so um i think it's just part of the evolution is it frustrating as a fan of a game and especially you know someone that played when he did yeah sure um and that's a valid feeling but i don't think it will diminish at all because you still have to win and how many of these quote unquote super teams that were built actually go and win? You know, you look at it, history doesn't show that it's something that every year a team just gets put together and then they go win. So you still have to compete. You still have to go out there and, and finish it off. And, um, you know, I think any team that does that same is in the bubble and people try to diminish that, you know, situation. I think that's actually a bigger, you know, honor and accomplishment, having to face what all those athletes and coaches did, being away from family, friends, isolation, uh, being able to play the game, no fans like that. That's a whole different, you know, perspective and 
outlook. And so I think each of them have their own kind of path and journey. And, um, you know, when you, when you finish it off, that's ultimately, you know, what, what matters. And if a super team is able to do that and the Suns are able to do that this coming year, like we all hope, you know, I don't think that diminishes it from it at all. Yeah. What's your take on this, Donis? You know, I love Doc. Um, one of my one of my favorites of all time. One of my favorite movies of all time. Official State Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that's the greatest scene ever to see him jumping in the ocean. So, you know, nobody tell me nothing about that. But um, Doc um, got a right to his opinion, and and I think that he's I think he's right. But it's a different era, like Seth said. Um, you know, when he went and got Moses, got Houston, and that was four million dollars. That's all Moses wanted. You know, so a million dollars now, that's a that's a mid-range player, less than a mid-range player. <laughs> that might be a kid. That might be somebody from overtime elite. So that's getting that money. But, <laughs> you know, these kids are getting money like that. So, you know, um, yeah, I, I think he's, you know, he's a purist and, and, and rightfully so. Um, but things have changed. And I think said for the best, guys like Doc and Moses and, and Bird and Kales, those the guys paved the way for these guys to be able to kind of envelop these super teams. And I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of it. I think we our team in Seattle, I we had three, four. You know, we had, we had Dead Left, you know, with six men of the year a couple of times in Indy. And we had Sam and we had Sean and we had Gary. We had Nate at Hersey Hawkins. I mean, that was my version of the super team. Um, you had Kendall Gill in 94 too, man. We're going to talk about Kendall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we ran, yeah, we ran up in that. Yeah, they, they, stop, Sid. Please don't come. Bad. I'm sorry. I'm that sorry. Was, I, I was, <laughs> shut <laughs> down the Tacoma Dome, baby. Way to shut down the Tacoma Dome. Exactly. Exactly. Kendall did come and play that year. But um, I get it. You know, um, basketball, as we grew up, I think it's the guys on this team. We saw things that were cold and they stayed together and they did things like that. It's, just, it's different now. And you know, these guys get that money billionaire owners that get money. So um it sucks. But uh, you know, now what I think what really happens is the pressure is put upon KD and the ability to produce. You go to the super team, you gotta produce, you gotta win a couple chips, and then you can rewrite your the legacy and history and go from that. Yeah, I know what you mean about um, when I, I think when it comes to super teams, they've always been around, right? They've always, always have been around. And you look at the 72 Lakers, right? They had a super team. They had Wilt Chamberlain. They had Jerry West. They had uh, Elgin Baylor. And I believe they had Gail Goodrich, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so you got four guys in the rafters that you know over in, in the Lakers arena, and that uh, they won a, a was a it was a record of uh, consecutive game wins, I guess. Uh, I forgot how many. Uh, do you know the number? I forgot the number. I think it was uh, eighteen or something or thirty something wins in a row. I can't remember. Yeah, can't. right. It, it's something along this. So they had a super team, and they beat. The, you know, the Knicks and, you know, the, it, that's the only championship that Jerry West ever won. So he needed that super team to come together in order to, you know, get that only ring he had. And, of course, the Celtics were out of the way. The Knicks beat them. So it, the Knicks had their super – I mean, the Celtics had their super team, uh, you know, also before then uh, in the 60s when they won eight straight titles. So anyway you slice it, it they, there's always going to be super teams around. And in the 80s, you had the Showtime Lakers – in 83, Doc, I know what he's he's saying that, that Kevin hopped around, but and Doc didn't hop around. He went from, 
you know, Atlanta Hawks, the Virginia Squires, and the ABA. And then when the merger happened, he went to the 76ers and he stayed there. And then he lost three times in 77 to the Blazers when they should have won that title. And then in 1980 to the Lakers when the Sixers should have won that title. And then 82 to the Lakers again. And, and the Lakers were favored, but then 83 came along. He needed that cadre of all-stars, basically four others besides himself. And actually three of them started, uh, four of them started in the all-star game in that 83 team. And Billy Cunningham was the coach. And Andrew Tony was coming off the bench. And then you had Bobby Jones, who was a four-time all-star before that. So it's like, you, on, any way you slice it, he had to have a super team to, to get that 83 title. I'm talking about Doc and I know that inflation happens with dollars and players basically, you know, do what they can behind the scenes. And of course it's the executives that make the final decision even back then. But I feel like players definitely had the, the bigger name players definitely had their say somehow, but not like to the tune of today where you have, you know, the CBA and the players association is way more strong than it's ever been. And, you know, the CBA that's coming, that just came into effect on July 1st, that actually is creating a lot of um, lack of parity uh, for the coming years for this league in terms of super teams because you have a top-heavy payroll like the Suns have and you have teams that aren't going to be able to attract all those stars like the Suns have or another team has. And basically, you're going to have a lot of bet minimums and such. So, that cup that might be true. I might be wrong about that. But but you know what that that creates that creates a problem. You know, in Seattle, you know, doing all this this time, we just have the NBA marketing, league. and the Bulls kind of understood what was going to happen. They had this thing called Life After Jordan, and it was part of their marketing plan because they knew Mike wasn't going to be there forever. And right. see, and that's that's where like a, you know the sun, you know, the brass from the top down. They got to prepare themselves. If, if they win, then they're good with the fan base because when those top-heavy contracts come due, or you've got to, you've got to, uh, you've got to loosen up the cash flow. You got to trade some guys to get back to basic economics. The fan base isn't going to leave because you've got money in the bank. You got, hey, we got a chip. Oh, we, you know, we got a couple chips out of this. Hey, we're going to take a couple years of being down um, as we look to rebuild economically because that's where. The rubber meets the road. That's where the common fan doesn't necessarily see it, but in those in those offices, and I've been in them. That's where they do. Hey, they they looking at this number. The owner's looking at his number, and like, well, we might have to trim this back. And it's okay because we got a couple tips. Now we don't have a couple tips, and we kind of made it. We almost made it. Then you're going to definitely going to see some things where okay, we got to rebuild, and that's where you have some problems, probably with your um with your fan base from time to time when it comes to people cooking things. All like good stuff, but yeah, I mean it's it, it's natural economics. You want to play the win now game, go for it, go for it. You only live once, so matter season, go for it. Uh, and if it works out, great. If it doesn't, then you know you tool go from there. Right, great, great, great point, great tool. Unless you're my beloved Dallas Cowboys, which we haven't won since I was twelve <laughs> years old. Uh, but that's all right. But we're still number one. <laughs> we pack them in, and we just cannot get them. Um, so you know, great point right there but you know, it, when it comes to our great cowboys america's team it just doesn't apply because we don't oh, have oh shit hey man hey pay the man pay zach yeah. martin man you gotta pay the man all that money <laughs> this is gonna be a fun nfl season said with my giants and your uh cowboys yes the battle monday night yeah, let's man. do it
I know. And we're just going to lay we're gonna lay in the back with some retread named Gino and just continue to win. And win, and win, and win. <laughs> and just win. Just win. Got rid of Russell and he's still win. Yeah. So let's kind of segue to Seattle about the Kevin Durant recently said that um, in a CNBC interview that he actually had his sports summit with um, the his, mm-hmm. his boardroom, his company, mm-hmm. um, that mm-hmm. he would be willing to have ownership, if possible, mm-hmm. in Seattle if the NBA were to do an expansion team there. So that brings about the question that a lot of the NBA media has been uh, discussing over the past couple of years. Again, if Seattle get another expansion team, to replace the Sonics, which became the Oklahoma City Thunder in 2007, when uh, actually 2008, when Kevin actually moved with the team after his rookie year there to OKC. So being a Seattle person or former Seattle employee, Donis, I'll start mm-hmm. with you. What does mm-hmm. this mean for the team um, or for the town, I should say, in Seattle if they get another team? And why are they just saying that Seattle needs basketball when they have the Seattle Storm that has actually won WNBA titles under one of the GOATs, Sue Bird? Well, it, two things. It's just uncorrect. It, it wouldn't be an expansion team. We still have the name and rights are still in Seattle. Those aren't in, in Oklahoma City. So, you know, it, what it means to the town, look, that was a, that was a major, major, gosh, it was – it's one of the hardest things in sports. Have you ever been to a city, maybe Cleveland, guys from Cleveland understand this, when your team packs up and leaves for just ominous reasons? And I can could, I could do four to five hours of podcasts on all that and bringing all the, the powers that be, even the, the guy who played some signal that, that sold it. So what it means to the town, it would mean a new generation of people to get to see the Sonics because we've got guys and nephews who don't even know what have a Sonics on. They have no idea what that logo means. They have no idea what it is about the arena. They don't know anything about squats and all the things that go along with that. It'd be it'd be new. And so from that standpoint, you'd find a new fan base. The old fan base obviously will still be there. Um, those that are there. Um, but you know, the NBA, David Stern at the time, um, kind of got in their own way and fell in love with the wrong people in Oklahoma City and uh, made some promises that uh, you know, I guess they had to keep. But um, it would mean it would, it would be great for the city. We've got we've got everything we need. They want to put the new um, arena is literally right next to um, where the Mariners are. Um, that that uh, hedge fund guy that owns it has bought all the land next to the Mariners on the ground. So we would literally have three stadiums right next to each other, um, which is great. It leads to a whole entertainment district where the where the uh, with the uh, with the storm play. Um, Uptown in the old Key Arena. Um, they're still there. Seattle, you play there. So, can I answer your question in a nutshell? It's not an expansion team. It's something that's deserved. Um, they better. They will get the team before Las Vegas does. Um, I know Vegas is the hotbed right now, but they'll get that team. Um, I think that um, the new commissioner he sees it. He's got to kind of right or wrong from Stern and the owner. Um, there's probably a couple owners. Um, say the clown in Cleveland, you know. They sometimes don't get it, but um, it's well deserved and well. It could have never happened. Um, and uh, but it's business, and um, with that comes comes consequences. And you know, hopefully that uh, you know Silver can again kind of right that wrong, get things get things back, 
the history and everything still lies with, with, with the town. Um, guys like Gary and Sean, guys who I interact with, you know, over years, you know, they've been invited back to Oklahoma City and stuff, and they've basically given them a little thing. I'm never going back. You're not retiring my jersey. You're going to my because that never happened. Um, I've seen Kevin Durant when he was in Oklahoma City with a Sonics hat on, you know, doing anything. So it's passion um, for people like myself um, who grew up, you know, with the Sonics, with Gus Williams and downtown Freddie Brown and, and then Lenny Wilkins and, you know, Lake Bill Russell, who was coaching and, and playing at the same time. So it's a lot of history there. It belongs to us. We belong. We, we need to have a team. Um, uh, it just, it would just bring things back and, and uh, we would look for them. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that Bill Russell actually was the Sonics, you know, one of their first coaches and right after he left the Celtics. And he said he left Boston and never looked back. He w- drove to the other side of I-90, which is the Mass Pike, which goes all the way to Seattle and stayed there, bought his house there. So just a piece to Bill Russell. Uh, said, yeah. what about you and your thoughts on Seattle possibly getting a team and – uh you know, when also uh, you know, what what Donis was saying about Key Arena. Yeah, long overdue. I don't think they should ever have t- taken or lost or however you want to phrase um, Seattle Supersonics leaving. Uh, the fan base is great. The town is wonderful. Uh, I thought the rivalry that they had with uh, Portland was bananas. Um, yeah. I mean, you can, you know, you know, you take all the history away you take all the banners away and the championships and the great players away. That's just a tragedy. Um, you know, uh, you talked about Sean. Sean lives in Seattle and uh, mm-hmm. he'll make his brand a lot bigger if the team was there, you know, and he can help that team out with the brand wise. And, and then obviously Gary Payton uh, deserves to be in somebody's rafters, or doesn't, you know, and, and have his jersey retired for what he has done and accomplished. Uh, but it's the same. I mean, just like in the W, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, travesty that the comments aren't around that the uh the shock is not around you know after winning mm-hmm. chat there and uh you know you thinking that those franchises will, will be especially the fan base that they had that they would just stay around for years and years it's, it's really tough but uh you do have to go back to baltimore and, and, and cleveland for that whole fiasco thing that went down in the middle of the night type of situation oh, yeah. yeah 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 that was a great yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's um, I mean, it's tough. I mean, uh, you know, obviously, if somebody owns a team, they can go and move. If the laws, the laws of the league allow it, they can go wherever they want. But uh, it, you do have a lot of hurt feelings, and and people are anticipating. And I got a question: like, how how would that work? You can't just do one expansion. You have to do both, or or the East have to come up with two. How does that actually work if we're going to expand it or or? Well, I, so what's the where were we at number thirty two, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you they can do it in unison, it, it has to be because you can't have that number. Um, it's just a matter of the ownership group. I don't know. Are you allowed? I take this back. You said are you allowed to? LeBron can't own a team while playing, correct? Right. Yeah, because Magic came back with us. He has to give. He had up his percentage. He gave it to us. Yeah, wife. he had to give. It. But he had to give. So LeBron has to do this. So LeBron said he wants, you know, I guess he really wants that ownership in Vegas. And, you know, I mean, we, can, we can do I don't know who's got the business. So they have to be done in unison. So I guess if, if anybody, if there's any weight, it's going to have to be to where he retired. If he's supposed to be the main cog in the wheel for that, for that ownership group or however you can structure that, um, it's got to be in the number. 
to be at 34. There are 34 teams. I mean, well, that'd be 34 in the that'd be two in the West, though. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, how would you? Oh wow! Yeah, I don't. Because I remember, I remember Milwaukee used to be in the Western Conference. And yeah, Chicago yeah, used to be as well. The Bulls as well. Yeah, yeah. I think the league would just re reshape the conference. They would reshape. Yeah, well, by, somebody, by geography. Somebody, somebody might get cut. Does New Orleans get cut? Um, you know, I don't see that. But you know, there used to be some rumors about that. Like, because New Orleans wasn't doing well, and ownership there was Tom Benson, and that was kind of a you know on the back end. A lot of people know that Tom Benson was kind of giving that just to. Because he was the main owner, you know, up on the banks, and they couldn't find a real owner in the world. So he kind of got a shoot out of the deal on the Pelicans. In the East. Be, uh, in, in the, in, the Pelicans are in the West, right? Yes. Yeah. Jersey. Yeah, they had, yeah, someone had to be shot. What other, what other state or city could you add if you're trying to catch up to the two that's going to be added in the East and the Western Conference? Jersey would be one, obviously, but they, they were there for years. But what, yeah. where, you know, Put a team on the Eastern Conference. You know, bring back to uh, you know Virginia, maybe you know, or St. Louis, maybe. It would maybe St. Louis as bring back the yeah. we're to St. Louis <laughs> the ABA. Would Kansas City get one? Kansas yeah. City, yeah. yeah. Um, is that considered Eastern Conference? If it's yeah, it's more more like Oklahoma City being the wife, I guess. I think everything west of the Mississippi River is how it's aligned, and uh, and how they divide the East and the West, which is why Memphis is considered Western Conference because technically Memphis is west of the Mississippi. Maybe Jacksonville, right? Jacksonville, yeah, yeah, could be. Well, let's get to our last topic about the W because I want to talk about women's basketball and give Tarasi here respect. Um, and so. I'll start with you, Patrick, because you actually go to W games at times. And uh, Diana Taurasi actually reached her 10,000th point, smashed her uh, own personal record of 42 points, gotten to that mark. And then, uh, but there's some underbelly of the celebration with the Mercury. This week, Skylar Diggins Smith alleged on Twitter that she was mistreated by the team while she was on maternity leave, not able to use the practice facilities to work out. Now, this is something I can't say I didn't see coming because Skylar Diggins Smith actually had her uh, fallout with the Mercury last year and Tarasi and Vanessa Nygaard, the former coach who actually was replaced by Nikki Smith uh, this earlier this season. So, Start with you, Patrick. Where do you see and why you asked me this yesterday, why the Mercury have not commented on her, uh, Skylar Diggins-Smith's allegations about mistreatment of her maternity leave? Yeah, I'll start there because I want to end with uh, DT and give her her, her dues. But um, I, I just think it's interesting they haven't commented um, due to the fact that, yes, if you look at the surface, and, and I'm not, this is just from a business perspective, I'm not stating where, where I stand, but when anyone's on um, maternity leave at any organization, you don't have resources and access to um, those facilities. So if, if you're out on leave... Um, from a liability and a business perspective, that's there. So um, it just isn't a good look for the Mercury. Obviously, anytime something like that is said by a former player, but like you said, there's a whole lot more to it than um, just what that opinion is. 
Um, and we just need to wait and see, you know, what is our policy? What's the WNBA policy on these situations? So um, it, it just, when any, you know, similar to Chris Paul, when he left, you know, we talked about just the way he made his comments about, it just isn't a good look anytime you have a player just making comments that are not in support of an organization. So more to come there. I just, I thought the Mercury should have moved a little faster uh, on a response um, just because it just gains traction otherwise. But uh, DT, phenomenal um, athlete. A uh, number of reasons I respect her, just, you know, the way she approaches the game as a competitor, um, her commitment to the community here in Phoenix and being here, you know, season 19 and uh, she plays another year and is 20 with, you know, Mercury. Um, it's that's an elite group, you know, Kobe, obviously being with one team for that long. So um, just just what she's done for not just WNBA, but basketball as a sport in general around the world. Uh, she's a great person. So getting to speak to her and talk to her and hang out um, and, and obviously the impact she has. So just a phenomenal accomplishment. Super excited. It was with the Mercury and we all got to be a uh, part of that, uh, whether we were there or just, you know, seen her in the past. So uh, super, super excited for her. Um, hope, you know, she continues and, and hits your 20 with the Mercury. Yeah, we got under two minutes left. So, Donis, you're in the women's basketball space and, you know, you what are you thinking about the, this thing with Skylar Diggins-Smith? You know, um, I think, you know, I think Skylar is, is, is a great talent. Um, and she's done a lot for women's basketball. It goes to Notre Dame and from her one came on stage with her jersey and stuff like that. I think she's done some fantastic things. I think um, I think the Mercury may have slightly missed the mark here. I know that Nikki Blue came out and said exactly what the, what the doctor said. You know, when you're on maternity leave or something like that, you don't have, you know, the resources to, to get back, you know, to, to do that. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a layered, complicated situation to a degree. Um, I think um, Guy probably is looking to get back on the court and, and, and wants to do what she does best. Um, and unfortunately, you know, whatever the rules are, they're just not, you know, I think from a human resources standpoint, she's just got to probably understand those a little bit more. Um, as far as DT, I think she's, she's going to be, she's one of the greats. Um, I think there's some debate there if she's the GOAT um, when you've got folks like Ramaya Moore and the Sterile Swoops and, you know, list goes on and on. Yeah, but she is definitely, you know, one, one of the greatest, and it's a fantastic achievement. Um, and you know what? I tell her she's probably not going to stop. Uh, she'll keep it going. Uh, but it's a hell of an achievement, and I wish everything for her to keep going. Um, if she can, if the body allows it to, because uh, she is a workhorse, and she goes about her craft um, like nobody else. You know, probably on the lines of the Kobe and MJ, she works really, really hard at it, and, 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 and it shows. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.